0: Hey there, podcast listener. I just wanted you to know that the John Sperry Podcast is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. Every month, members get one credit to pick any title, plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection and access to Daily News digests like the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, as well as guided meditation programs. With your Audible membership, you can download titles and listen offline anytime and anywhere, download the free app onto smartphones, both Apple and Android, Listen across devices without losing your spot. If you can't decide what to listen to, don't worry. You can keep your credits for up to a year and use them to binge on a whole series if you'd like. I've been using Audible for about a decade now, and I couldn't be more satisfied. I love Audible. I've listened to audiobooks, dramas, podcasts. To get started with a one-month free trial, go to audibletrial.com slash jdspodcast. That's audibletrial.com slash jdspodcast. That gets you one month free, which includes a free book credit, two free Audible originals, and access to their massive library of resources. One more time, audibletrial.com slash podcast to get started with Audible with that free month. back to the John D. Sperry Podcast. We're taking a look at Chapter 8 this week of LAMP, Link Access Manipulation Program. This is Part 2 of Latin in Space. Hope you enjoy it. Chapter 8.
1: When you get to the hub, you'll be on the human side of the station. You need the human interface, the Tellaride computers won't sync with our protocol software. They keep those codes locked up.
0: Then why am I on the Telluride side of the ship? Do you know what I had to go through?" Ladin said to the small square image of Haslan Malik in the corner of his datamod as they spoke over a secure diplomatic channel between Earth and the sublight ship Ladin was on.
1: Getting you on the ship as a Telluride let you bypass about four travel security protocols, and the Telluride interface is the only way to find the lamp. Now would you pay attention?
0: Malik said, looking angry. Ladin sighed and nodded.
1: I can't overstate the importance of covering your tracks. Every time you connect to a new strand, you need to— Malik began, but Ladin cut him off.
0: Yeah, I need to burn the old one from my log. I know how this works. This is what I do— ''I've written an adaptable watchdog program already.''
1: ''Only this time, if you get caught, I won't be there to save your skin again.''
0: Malik emphasized authoritatively just to remind Ladin who was in charge. ''Right,'' Ladin replied dubiously, having had his doubts about the skin saving in the first place. In some ways, it felt like he'd been pulled from the pot and thrown into the fire.
1: ''You have less than five hours to figure out how to breach their higher securities.''
0: Malik said, his face turning suddenly serious and stern.
1: "'If you can't do it in that time, you may as well not come back,'
0: he said as he blew a puff of tobacco vapor into the air. Ladin sighed. "'Right,' he replied hopelessly.
1: "'Good. Don't open this channel again until you have it.'"
0: Before Ladin could concur, Malik terminated the signal. Ladin rested his datamod on his knees and reclined in the stuffed chair. "'What have you gotten yourself into?' he asked to the emptiness of his small but very clean and luxurious surroundings. After a miserable moment of self-pity, Ladin's thoughts immediately jumped to Kimber, the mesmerizingly beautiful flight attendant who likely walked the halls, maybe even right past his door at that moment. He had never been so taken by any girl before in his life. Perhaps it was the traumatic situation that introduced them, but he felt something for her, something he had never felt for a girl.' Living his life on the streets didn't make romance easy or even a priority. Sure, there had been street jacker girls, and some of them were cute. They hadn't escaped Ladin's attention, but they were competition and dangerous. Respectable girls were a waste of time. There were certain aspects of social grace that street jackers lacked and fathers noticed. But Kimber was different from all of them. She was smart, young, and gorgeous. At least, that's how he perceived her. Her eyes seemed to penetrate Ladin. "'leaving a lasting imprint, but it was useless to think about her. "'She was a respectable girl with a job on a sublight travel liner. "'She would never.' "'Laden sighed again and stood up from his chair. "'He eyed the single-occupant bed near the porthole window "'that looked unnervingly out into space, "'and realized just how tired he was. "'His mod was working on the ship's security "'and would take an hour or so to complete. "'A small nap wouldn't hurt.' Stopping at the porthole for a moment, Ladin pulled up the thin screen that covered the window and looked out at the blackness of space. It was impossible to tell how fast they were traveling, but if the math was correct and the trip to Pluto took just over six hours, that meant they were traveling at just under the speed of light. Six hours there, five hours on the station, six hours back. Ladin groaned aloud. It was going to be a long trip. That might end with holding a magical piece of software or incarcerated. It was a dreary thought, especially since all he wanted was for Kimber to come in and talk to him. Pulling himself away from the porthole, Ladin lay down on the bed. As he rested his head on the pillow, he thought about the likelihood of the lamp's existence, comparing it to the likelihood that Kimber might go out with him. If the Tellurids could have technology such as artificial gravity on their ships, maybe it was conceivable that an impossible computer program could exist. If it were possible that Kimber could talk to him so openly, perhaps it was possible that she would go out with him. Sighing again, he gave the slight advantage to the lamp as he closed his eyes and drifted into sleep. Ladin jolted up in bed as a new sound filled his ears. He looked around the room looking for the source when the sound came again. He shook his head and ran his hands through his hair. Hello? he called out.
1: "'Good evening, Mr. Malick. Can I get you anything?'
0: said Kimber's pleasant sing-song voice over some kind of calm system. "'Uh, no, I don't—' Ladin said as he still looked around, trying to find the source of the voice. "'Where are you?' he asked as he rose from the bed, rubbing the sleep from his eyes. "'I'm outside the door, Mr. Malick,' Kimber giggled in her teenage way. Ladin strode quickly to the door, every hair from his neck to his arm standing on end in anticipation of seeing Kimber's face. Her brilliant green eyes and burgundy hair. When the door opened, Kimber stood squarely in the frame. Hello, Mr. Malik, she said in her jovial, almost flirtatious tone that accentuated her youth. We'll be arriving at Pluto Station in less than two hours. I was just curious if you needed anything. Reality suddenly came crashing down, replacing the youthful desire he felt for the teenage girl in front of him with a rapidly growing fear. Two hours? Lydon exclaimed as he looked at the chronometer on his wrist. She was right. He had been out for three hours. Ladin spun around, leaving Kimber at the door. No, 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 he said as he reached for his data mod. Examining the information on the screen, his heart rate increased. Oh, my. I don't have time for this, he said as he entered a new command on the mod to begin a second-level security breach, just to see if he could do it when he got to the station. Can I help with anything, Mr. Malik? Kimber asked pleasantly from the door. There was a part of Ladin that wanted her to stay and be with him while he attempted to breach the Telluride network. But he simply said, No, thank you. I just need to be alone. Kimber smiled through her breathing mask and backed out of the door. All right, Mr. Malick, if you need anything at all, don't hesitate to call. As the door closed, Ladin looked over his shoulder for one last look at the love of his short and tragic life. After nearly two hours, as Kimber had announced, a loud concussive reverberation filled the whole ship and caused Ladin to almost drop his data mod onto the floor. A new, very automated voice came over the sound system in Telluride. The ship was docking and he needed to get to the hub main computer as soon as possible. He grabbed his robe and hurriedly threw it over himself, dropped his mod into his bag, and walked out the door, blue lines on the floor pointing him toward the exit. After three turns, he saw a door exiting into a stall similar to the one he used to enter the ship. This one was lacking the acclimatizing chamber, much to Ladin's pleasure. Kimber was standing at the door, and his heart raced. "'Will you be traveling back with us, Mr. Malik?" she said, as pleasantly as ever. "'Uh, yes, I think so,' Ladin replied as he stared into Kimber's brilliant eyes. "'Then I will see you in five hours,' she said with a very soft smile." Ladin managed a tight-lipped smile as he stepped out into the space station. Having been so preoccupied with Kimber, he hadn't noticed that what he was seeing was not at all what he had been expecting. The station looked like a gigantic indoor marketplace, teeming with people. Just in his field of vision, there had to be 2,000 people walking around, riding small automated carts, standing in front of what looked like storefronts, and sitting in chairs outside of eateries. It was the most bizarre thing he had ever seen. It was extravagant, clean, and, as odd as it seemed, very carefree. Most people were dressed in all manner of telluride robes, but there was some human fashion, though it was sparse. The humans themselves were easily spotted, as it was their turn to wear masks for breathing, just like Kimber's. The odors coming from the nearby eateries were intoxicating. Laden wasn't too familiar with what tellurides ate, but it smelled delicious. Unfortunately, food had to wait. The task at hand was finding the hub main computer, which meant finding the hub, or axis, of the station itself. Ladin quickly retrieved his data mod and brought up a map of the entire station, one of the many things added to his computer with Malik's operating system. The diagram showed a multi-layered complex made of five concentric disks rotating around a giant axle. A small green dot appeared near the edge of one of the disks. Ladin expanded that part of the map, and the dot became a small green person. Looking at the screen, he walked toward the center of the plaza. When the green avatar on his screen moved with him, he knew he had the correct application. A yellow dotted path suddenly appeared on the screen in front of the avatar. It pointed toward the axle of the station. Ladin casually placed his mod at his side and looked around. There were so many people, it was hard to tell if anyone was watching him. Looking straight ahead, he saw a green lighted sign above a series of doors that wrapped around the outside of the curved center of the concourse. Ladin approached the doors. They were where the path on his screen was pointing. The green sign was in many languages, but the second from the top was the one he understood. Lift, it said, exactly what he needed. People, both human and telluride crossed in front of him to take the lifts. Each person placed his or her hand quickly on a small podium. As they did so, one of the two lift doors would open, and the person would board the lift, sometimes two and three people at a time. Ladin approached cautiously and placed his hand on the podium and felt the same small tug in his palm as before and to his surprise, both doors opened up in front of him. He looked at them for a moment, not sure what to do or how to proceed. A man in human fashion suddenly walked around him and entered the door on the right. He wore a breather mask over his mouth and nose and glared at Ladin before the door closed. Two women entered the door on the left. One was plump with bright pink hair. The other was thin and wearing the flowing loose fashions of a tellaride, but her top barely covered anything. That's when Ladin noticed the woman's navel. It was located on her back. Neither woman wore a mask. Humans on the right, telleroids on the left, he muttered as he understood the simple pattern. He placed his hand on the podium again. The two doors opened and he headed to the one on the left. He hoped no one else got on. While he looked the part, he could never engage in conversation. As the doors began to close, he suddenly remembered that Malik said to go to the human side. A streak of panic raced through Ladin as he tried futilely to stop the lift but the doors were already closed. He looked at the mod screen on the wall, at its variety of icons and menu options, but he had no idea what they were, because the whole thing was in Tellaride. He looked for a button that might open the door, but there was none. In frustration, he looked at his own data mod. The map showed his path going into the lift next to the one in which his little green avatar stood. Well, that would have been helpful a few seconds ago, he cursed at the screen. Okay, how do I get out of here? As he looked at his mod, he noticed that the yellow line showed him going to the floor above where he was, only on the human side. If that was all it was, then he'd just go there. He looked at the panel on the wall. He was somewhat familiar with Telluride numbers, but he couldn't remember which way they ascended and descended. He needed to translate the panel completely. Remembering the delegate software package Malik had installed on his data mod, he quickly switched programs, found the applications menu, and scanned them. There you are. He said and pressed a small picture of two people connected by a sideways figure eight. The screen changed to three icons. One looked like the outline of a person talking. Another looked like a data screen filled with written words. But the last icon was what he needed. It was a picture of a data mod pointing at words hanging in space. The symbols on the data screen were different from those it was pointing at. Ladin tapped the icon. In an instant, he was looking through the lens of a camera mounted on the back of his mod. He held it up to the control panel display so that it was projected within the frame of his screen. The Telluride words disappeared, replaced with Bagadite. Now we're talking, Ladin said as he found what he needed. Shoving his mod back into his bag, he tapped on the foreign words on the control panel. The lift shot upward, the entire trip lasting, at the most, three seconds before the doors opened into a new space that was darker and felt more like a municipal building waiting room. The room was divided into sections by a high glass wall that closed off the front of the area to the rest of whatever lay behind it. A man standing at the center of the wall peered out from behind the sheet of glass. Ladin tried not to make eye contact. Small lighted signs labeled the doors and windows all around. Stepping off the lift, Ladin casually lifted up his data mod and translated each of the signs one by one. Directly to his right was a door with a sign above it. Surreptitiously tilting his mod toward the sign, he saw that it read, Human Data Link Station. That was his door. As he approached the door, he heard the man behind the glass shift his weight. Ladin stopped and reluctantly looked over his shoulder. The man was wearing a very confused look on his face, almost like he wanted to stop Ladin, but remained silent. Ladin stared for a moment before figuring out why the man looked so concerned. With a nervous smile, he reached into his bag and pulled out the lithium supplement device. Clumsily, he wrapped the tubes around his head and into his nose. He smiled awkwardly at the man and raised the canister. "'You're dead,' Ladin said to himself. "'You're so not getting out of this alive.' He pressed the door entry button and was greeted by a whoosh of air as he entered a transparent box with another door on the other side. An indicator light across from him was red. Air began to flow in, and it tasted bitter, but in a familiar way. Then he began to cough. It was happening again. He cringed at the thought of reacclimatizing. This time there would be an audience. He wasn't going to do that. Jerking the lithium supplement from his pocket, he prayed it wasn't just an empty canister. He pressed the magazine charge indicator and saw that it was full. Oh, thank you, he whispered with a cough, then set the dispenser to normal. He felt the caressing sensation of the lithium on his lungs instantly and relaxed. It wasn't exactly like breathing Telluride air, but it soothed the coughs. After a few more seconds, the chamber pressurized and the indicator light turned green. As he walked out of the glass chamber and into the human side of the floor, he found a rather shabby-looking human girl with untidy brown hair behind a rather typical-looking desk. The room was so standard for an earthly clerical office that he felt disappointedly at home. "'Can I help you?' the girl said in a gruff, nasally voice, thankfully in Bagadite. "'Yes, I need a, uh, link station?' laden said insecurely as he looked around the room the girl slid a thin data mod onto the countertop flash your id then select the purpose for your visit she said barely looking up her eyes glued to a monitor in front of her laden took the tablet and did as she said flashing his id in front of the screen his face showed up a picture he had taken with malik that vizier had uploaded to the nets the same picture as the one on his badge A stream of false information followed, and then an empty space demanding a retinal scan. Ladin leaned over the device. After a brief flash of blue light, a tiny beep indicated the scan was complete, and the entire page was suddenly outlined in green. Ladin slid the mod back to the attendant, who pressed a button on her monitor. Okay, Mr. oh, she said with alarm, and her entire demeanor had changed from apathy to sudden delight. I'm sorry, sir. I wasn't expecting you. The Malik delegation isn't due today. Please forgive me, she said nervously as she fumbled around for something on her desk. It's all right, I just need a station to make some communications back to Earth. Something private, if you have it. Yes, absolutely. We try to accommodate our own delegates the best we can, she said, when Ladin noticed her looking at the breathing tubes going into his nose. I'm only half-human, Ladin said, anticipating her question. I was raised on Earth. My father is Hazan Malik's cousin. I, I don't speak Tellaride. My mother's a Telluride, She died. "'Shut up!' Ladin silently scolded himself as he rattled off his fabricated information as though there were a forthcoming test on it. "'Oh, that's interesting,' the girl said, finally finding what she was looking for. "'Please follow me, Mr. Mallock. I'll set you up with the hub main station. It has the fastest connection, and with your diplomatic credentials, you can access our rapid subspace network back to Earth. It's also very private,' she said with a pleased look on her face." Thanks, that's perfect, Ladin responded. The hub main station was a long room filled with a shiny black table made of some sort of composite glass or alloy that was surrounded by chairs. In general, the room was far more elaborate than the waiting room. Ladin sat down at the primary module station, a desk on the far back wall of the room with a meter-wide data screen. If you need anything, just call by pressing here, the girl said, touching a blue call button next to the mod screen. Thank you. Laden said with a forced smile. The girl smiled back awkwardly for a moment before taking her leave of the room. As the door closed behind her, Ladin pulled up his personal data mod, along with a single cable. Looking back at the entrance of the room, he saw that the transparent door allowed anyone walking by to see everything he was doing. That wasn't going to work. Jumping to his feet, he walked to the door and examined the control panel, relieved when he could read it. He selected the icon for the blinds and all the transparent glass surfaces in the wall went completely dark. That's better, he said, then walked back to the primary module. Having plugged the long cable into his mod, he looked around for any kind of auxiliary port, but found none. There was a labeled access panel under the station table, so he knelt down on the ground and, using both hands, he pried the panel off the station to reveal the necessary ports and inputs. With the help of his translator, he found the port he needed to access the Telluride system and plugged the other end of the cable into it. The large hub monitor flashed a warning. Invalid device or process. Cease all activity and restore hub to initial startup process. Sorry, sweetie. Not today, Lydon said as he tapped away at his data mod. Dialogues appeared and disappeared as fast as he could make them. The hub monitor went blank, replaced by a single icon. A simple image of a cut and sparking neural pathway line. ''Loose wire!'' Ladin exclaimed quietly. His own mod screen emulated that of the hub main's net interface. Ladin was in complete control. ''Looks like we're in. That was easy,'' he smiled, feeling pleased with his own inventiveness. ''Now let's disable some of your friends. What do you say?'' Ladin clicked open an operating dialog and wrote in a few lines of command code. A new box appeared, telling him that the process cloning system had been disabled. Leave no footprints, he said, as he input another strand of code, a false log of his activity while on the hub. It was a genius little piece of code that fabricated mundane NETS activities in real time. When he finished, the program would simply record a NETS log off, and he'd be out. A breadcrumbs trail for misdirection, and I'd say we're ready to start, he said to the mod as he tapped open a few more dialogues to activate his personal codes. Interlocking his fingers, he stretched and cracked all of his knuckles and began to dig into the NETS. Since he hadn't quite cracked the initial security measures before getting off the sublight ship, he started there. To his satisfaction, it only took a few minutes to break. From there, he had access to all the security measures. He hoped it wouldn't be too difficult. A cluster at a time, he waded through the shallowest level of code in the system. It'll be obvious as you get closer to where the lamp is, Laddin thought, remembering Malik's warning. That's if the stupid thing exists, he answered himself resignedly. And that was Chapter 8, Chapter 8, Part 2 of Ladin in Space. So, Ladin travels to Pluto Station. There are a couple of things I wanted to um, get across with this. Again, we're getting right back to my love of things like Star Trek and and spaceship sci-fi. And that's really important to me. Um, And and it's what I know as far as as sci-fi goes, as far as storytelling goes. And so, I wanted to really portray this as a space station, okay? There have been lots of space stations from... uh, you know, 2001: Space Odyssey to Star Trek to Star Wars, lots of space stations in sci-fi, and I wanted this one to be one of those sort of super convenient space stations um, that you would might see in Star Trek, where everything seems normal. There's normal gravity, and people go to their jobs, and and it just seems like a normal place. And so that's what I wanted this to feel like. So when Lyden comes out of the ship. I wanted to. I wanted him to essentially be walking into something that was like a combination of an airport, but like like an airport like they used to be, uh, pre 9/11, like where it was just this big place and kind of like a giant mall. And some airports are probably still like that, but but that's what I wanted the feel to be like. Like people were milling around, people were getting things to eat, people were going to their jobs, going places. And so, Aladdin has this dilemma now where he has a job that he has to go to. And he has to fit in with these people. And the irony of this whole situation is that he wouldn't have fit in in this group even on Earth. So, he's not only out of his league as far as, like, having to be an alien. He's out of his league socially. These are not the people he would, he would have mingled with even back on his home planet. And now that he's, you know, six light hours away from Earth, um, he's still out of his league. So all he wants to do is he wants to get to that place that's comfortable to him. And the place that's comfortable to him is going to be behind a computer desk. Okay. That's where he's going to find his comfort. And I hope that I conveyed that. So we get to the technicality of him getting to the hub main and he sees the shabby looking girl. I wanted her to not be uh, super extraordinary or memorable. Just another obstacle for Latin to have to get through with this other person, and it didn't matter that she was human. It didn't matter that she spoke his language. She was just another obstacle. And uh, and so he finally gets to the computer. And this is where um, I think Laddin finally feels at home. Once he has his data mod plugged in to the station, he's ready to roll. Okay, now, here's where my secrets come in. <laughs> so I know almost... I don't know if I should tell you this. I know almost nothing about computer coding, about computer languages, about anything. And this is probably where it shows the most. Um, I've had friends who could do it. Um, I have, I have family members who can who can write computer programs and write uh, code. My sister's husband can do this. My wife's brother is familiar with all these things. Um, they both work in technology, work with computers. And so when I wrote this, I was super embarrassed that they would read this and go, this guy has no idea what he's talking about. But my brother-in-law, um, my wife's brother, he said he liked it and <laughs> he didn't say anything. Uh, he didn't make fun of me for it. So I appreciated that. Um, I appreciated that a lot. I don't know if my, I don't know if my sister's husband has read it, um, but I'm sure he'd make fun of it because he's a super computer programming genius kind of guy. Um, so let's just hope <laughs> when you read this, you read it uh, not from a perspective that I know what I'm talking about with computers. I mean, I know some stuff, right? I Obviously, I did research. Um, I looked up the link, the lingo uh, a little bit. I and I made some of it up because this is a futuristic world. These are um, different times than we live in. So I'm gonna I'm going to say I took a lot of creative license with the. Tech talk with the computer jargon. I mean, everybody knows what algorithms do. Everybody knows uh, that um, you, you know codes are written in different lines and and whatnot. So you know, I took the basics, um, but I elaborated in my own little way. And and I think that's another really important thing to distinguish here is I I was a non coder a non-computer programmer, writing for the majority of other people who are not computer programmers, people who needed to understand what this was and what, what he was doing. And so there's that, that separation of the, the actual language, the actual um, jargon from what people are going to understand. So while the layman's terms in this situation are completely made up, you get the idea of what he's doing here. And, and as a writer... I think this is a really important thing to recognize about your audience. Your audience is going to fill the spectrum of knowledge of, you know, understanding of what you're talking about in these situations. So you got to sort of, you know, make it make it uh, accessible to everybody. And I wanted to make it exciting. I wanted to make it uh, frustrating. I wanted to make it so that the reader didn't get bored. And, you know, there there are times when I don't think I accomplished that. And as a writer, um, you have this struggle And this is a struggle that I come across quite frequently. And it's the way my brain works. Um, While I'm writing a thing, I want it to be plausible. I want it to have considered all of the possibilities and all of the problems with this particular situation. And this one, a guy sitting at a computer desk trying to find a certain piece of information is just a boring task. It's a tedious task. It's something that people would not consider to be exciting if they were to find it in a book. You know, even watching it on TV, unless there's like music behind it that was like super compelling and making it seem like a mystery or exciting or or the the person is in trouble. But doing that in literature is difficult. And then you come across the the problem of making it sound plausible. Um, I, I personally, when I'm reading a piece of literature, I personally don't like when I think that a, a character solved a problem too easily. When I feel like it was sort of a Deus Ex Machina salvation, they didn't have to work that hard for it, and it just boom, it just happened. I hate that, and so I want the, I want I want all of this, the, every possibility of a scenario to be thought through. And when I start writing that down in narrative, it gets really boring, it gets really tedious, and it's like yeah, 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 we don't care about this. Some people might, and the hardest part of this for me to swallow is that whole idea of. The author knows the backstory. The author knows why. As long as the author knows why, the audience doesn't need to necessarily know every detail of how that happened. And I get how that works for word count. I get how that works for audience appeal. But it bugs me. It really bugs me. I'm in the middle of writing a novel right now. It's actually the sequel to this book. And I got to a point where I had to explain in detail a transition that a character went through to go from one state to another state as this character and I couldn't just gloss over it for me I couldn't just gloss over it I had to write in all the details and now when this gets to my editors they're probably gonna suggest hey you should cut some of this out um hey this got really boring hey I didn't like this um you don't need this much detail we get that she's going through this but but for me I have to write that stuff in I have to write in all the details I have to write in all the information just to get it on paper just so that it is known and ultimately it's probably a lot of it's probably gonna get cut uh, but that's my process. I have to make sure that I know every detail as to why something happened. The why is huge for me. The how is not as big as the why. Um, because if the why is not compelling enough, if it's not convincing enough, the how doesn't matter. Uh, my wife was just telling me about a book she's reading. And it's it's a, it's a more of a middle grade book. Um, Maybe may leading it to why. She said that the writing is really good that the vocabulary is high, like a YA book, but the content is very middle grade. And she was telling me that that while the story is interesting, you never doubt in each chapter that the the hero or the protagonist is ever going to not get what he needs. And maybe with middle grade, that's not necessary. But if there's a, a dire situation and the whole thing seems impossible and something needs to happen and then boom, a new character shows up and saves the day, I kind of hate that. I don't know why... But it's too easy, and a lot of people like the easy. And I've been I've been lectured before about how uh, some things I say I verge on the boring side instead of the easy side. But that's just my style, I guess. That's just who I am as a writer. So that is really all I have to say about Chapter 8. It is uh, sort of one of those chapters you have to have to get to the excitement. So I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I hope that you guys all caught my full request interview with Patrick Hartsfield, one of my best friends, great writing buddy. Um, He's got a lot to say. So if you didn't uh, catch that episode, go back, uh, find the full request with Patrick Hartsfield episode and take a listen. It's good stuff. Remember... You can find all of my books on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and pretty much anywhere you can buy paperbacks online and uh, digital eBooks. Um, I have my Immortal Light series, which is Wide Awake, Into Shadow, and Through the Fire. If you haven't checked out those books, I don't have audiobooks for them yet, but they were really fun to write. And there, it's a it's an adventure, pseudo fantasy, modern uh, urban fantasy uh, YA novels about a girl who needs to save the world. Um, and there's some romance, lots of action, some sort of zombies and, uh, you know, mystical powers, the whole thing. And, uh, check those out if you haven't checked those out. And then lamp is also available on paperback and digital. I just want to say, remember, be good. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. And, uh, we'll catch you next time. This podcast is written, produced, and edited by me, John D. Sperry. Additional music and sound effects are provided by EpidemicSound.com. The John D. Sperry theme song is Abstraction by Talent Studio. This podcast is a John D. Sperry production, copyright 2020.